The winter of 1855 brought more than cold and snow to the countryside of Devon, England. While some reports say it was the coldest winter on record, the front that ushered in the chill quite possibly heralded another cause for concern. Speak of the devil. Idle hands are the devil's playground. And any other idioms and adages aside, did the devil, yes, the flesh and blood devil, take a lovely stroll through southern England in February of 1855, leaving behind a trail of footprints between 40 and 100 miles long. For one night, had the people of this area gotten verifiable proof of the devil on the prowl? I guess the devil may be in the details. Okay, I'm done. Thanks for hanging out with us this week as we take you lucky devils on a ride of mystery. And stay tuned after the show for this week's Musician Spotlight. This week, we're bringing you Venom, Eddie Brock. This is the Supernatural Tendencies Podcast. I'm Alex. And I'm Christy. And this is episode 19, The Devil's Footprints of Devon. The blistering cold left temperatures around freezing for several months in southwest England. But the morning of February 8, 1855, brought more than freshly fallen snow to Devon County. It wasn't long before a discovery was made that would shock the residents and carry on through the years as one of the most peculiar and baffling cases in paranormal history. Footprints, or more like hoofprints, in the snow measuring four inches long and three inches wide, were lined up in a path that something had taken the night before. Reports say the prince had a perceived stride of eight to sixteen inches in a distinct cloven shape. Possibly, most impressively, the prince that stretched for some say a hundred miles seemed to defy physics and the obstacles they traversed. Through barns, over haystacks, in and out of gardens and courtyards, across frozen lakes and fields would be interesting enough, but some instances defied logic. Up and over houses, leaving prints across rooftops, along narrow fencing, straight up the sides of walls and trees to appear again on the other side. At some points, they seemed to enter and exit pipes that were only four inches in diameter. The fact that the footprints took a route that no natural animal could feasibly take made many residents think that this was no natural animal at all, but the devil himself. The first arguably reliable account of the incident would come from the Reverend H.T. Elcombe in a collection of documents that he had produced and sent to the Illustrated London News that were marked not for publication. One entry read, quote, The marks which appeared on the snow which lay very thinly on the ground at the time, and which were seen on Friday morning, to all appearances were the perfect impression of a donkey's hoof, the length four inches by two and three-quarter inches, but instead of progressing as that animal would have done, or indeed as any other would have done, feet right and left, it appeared that foot had followed in a single line. 
the distance from each tread being eight inches, or rather, more than footmarks in every parish being exactly the same size, and the steps the same length. The documents quoted above were not rediscovered until the 1950s, leaving plenty of time for the stories to grow. Some said the prints were so deep in the snow that they almost hit the ground underneath, as if seared into the snow. More frighteningly, the hoof prints on occasion wandered right up to the thresholds of homes, just a knock away from revealing itself to the occupants. While extraordinary in itself, the Prince of Devon isn't by itself in the creepy footprint file of the unexplained. In May of 1840, Captain Sir James Ross found a similar situation while conducting an expedition on the Kirkvellan Islands in the southern Indian Ocean. The islands, being described as overly rocky and windswept, were initially devoid of life besides seabirds and seals until rabbits, cats, and sheep were introduced by a later caravan. So the discovery of hoofprints very close in description to those in Devon were surprising to say the least. Ultimately, Lieutenant Byrd, of Captain Ross's expedition, came to the conclusion that it must have been made by a donkey or possibly a small pony from someone's previous visit to the islands. Another case in 1945 found another trail of hoof-like prints lined up near Everberg, Belgium. While the size of the prints were slightly smaller than those in Devon, their general appearance made Eric Frank Russell, one of the investigators of the phenomenon, draw a direct link between the two happenings. While some speculated that the prints were caused by goats commonly found in the area, the difference between the commonly seen goat prints and what was found in 1945 still throws this theory into uncertainty. Which brings us back to Devon. Did the devil really take a brisk jaunt through the countryside? As with the story in Belgium, other theories have been issued. One possible solution would be as simple as mice. Hopping mice, to be exact. Posed originally by the newspapers of the time, and still prevalent today, the idea is that while appearing to be bipedal, the drawings made of the tracks appear to be in a near straight line, lacking any kind of offset canter one would expect with a bipedal animal. The idea of a hopping mouse could be plausible since the mouse would probably hop in a straight line and with its body imprint forming a hoof-like shape in the snow, our devil may have suddenly shrank in size. Furthermore, a small creature such as a mouse could fit into small diameter pipes answering that question, although the scaling of walls may be a bit harder to approach. Other obvious animals have been theorized as well, such as birds, sheep, and goats. But the most interesting may be that of a kangaroo. Only really postulated a handful of times, the idea that a kangaroo had escaped from a nearby zoo or collection may have been a stretch of the imagination, but it did help quell some of the fears of the incident. Running the gambit of the animal kingdom, some would go on to put forth meteorological solutions. To be quite frank, the combination of pressure systems with a certain amount of condensation that could produce such a phenomenon would be, how can we say, distant in believability to be covered here today. This idea is only really supported by one individual, J. Allen Rennie. And while we don't like to write off any theories outright, if this vague description of such circumstances intrigues you, feel free to pursue further research on the subject. Next on the list of possible explanations would be of the human element. Not so much of a question of would someone hoax such a thing, but could they hoax 40 to 100 miles in a single night? 
that would be an impressive feat even if the workload were to be shared between multiple individuals, although the ingenuity of the human mind can never fully be underestimated. Whether made by a mundane mouse searching for shelter or food, which, by this point, could be scrutinized by the same standards of a human hoaxer, or by his dark majesty himself rummaging through Victorian England for sinners to claim, the mystery of the devil's footprints of Devon remain a mystery that will only solidify their place in uncertainty as the years roll by. Because it's going to stay up all year long. No, I'm serious. I'm gonna leave it up. Uh, what? Nothing. What? Nothing. I can't. I, what? I can't have a Christmas tree in my in in the office all year long. No, in the, you can't. Studio. No, the, it's fine. The studio slash office. Yeah. I mean, I think we've, I think we've bled the music out of this point to officially bring everybody into the conversation that we started with. But we now have the Christmas tree up in the studio. Because I was thinking, wouldn't it be awesome if we got li- like little alien and Bigfoot? And- oh my god. Yeah. Are you seeing now where I'm going with this? You Now I'm, you want to keep the tree. I'm totally on board. Yeah. Oh, I've been... Little planets. I've been nagging Tara for a Bruins tree for a solid eight years now. To where we have the official family tree that they can do whatever the hell they want with. Oh, yeah. But I also want my own Bruins tree. Yeah. But now for the studio, we can have a paranormal tree. I think, yeah. Oh. That's sweet. <laughs> that's yep. never dawned on me. Well, that's why I'm here. That's, that's the it. purpose I serve. I mean, I brought the I brought the thing back from Orlando. Yeah. For us, the uh, the Which, alien buddy. Yeah, I'll have to get a picture of that and post it in our Facebook group. Yeah, uh, I got the little alien buddy aw- looking at us. Awesome. <sighs> okay, yeah. so we're here this week, and I I am excited because I love these shorter stories. I feel like we can encompass them better. And so I, when I was writing the script, I was super excited. So if any of you like this script, tell me about it because I, I really like it and I feel good about it. So you're so weird. I know I am. I'm, I'm, I'm weird. But God. when I get excited about something, I feel good about it. Like sometimes I'm like, oh. why are we never like on par at the same time with our excitability on topics? It's either one or the other. Like one of us is like, yeah. And the other one's like, yep. Well, I think that's I think that's a differentiation in, in being human. But I do like this. What? The differentiation in being humans. You know, oh, like we're oh, different oh, okay, people. Yeah. So we but I do like this story. It's great. It's I like pretty it. Cool. I don't know. I mean, like I remember seeing it, but I didn't um, know like all the details. So I think it's a really cool story. Yeah. And on top of that, I wanted to give a shout out to him because uh, we wouldn't be doing this one so quickly. Um, because I had never really heard of it either without one of our contributors to our. Uh, t-shirt and hoodie selling campaign there for for stuff would be uh, rod wise and uh one of the founding members of the uh, supernatural tendencies group um if anybody uh in the group has a chance to shout him out thank you because not only did he Thanks, contribute rod. not only did he contribute to us um by buying a couple of hoodies he also uh gave us some show topics which i've been pleading with our listenership to yes. do and he did so i wanted to uh to give him a spotlight this week because he gave us this episode and he also helped contributed to uh the hoodie the hoodie campaign thank you uh he also happens to be my uncle so thank you uncle rod because i feel weird about saying rod wise without saying uncle in front of it yeah so uh this week the devil's footprints of devon 
Dun, dun, dun. Pretty, pretty short story, pretty uh, concise story. And the only real thing we will get to later would be the founding of the documents, which I kind of put in the middle of the script. And I did that to help the flow of the story. I didn't want to give the whole story. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, in 1950, and let's backtrack. Yeah. So uh, even though I put it in the middle of the story, the, the papers found by H.T. Ellicombe um, were actually found in ni- 1950s when the story happened 100 years previous. So pretty crazy. It was crazy. So, yeah. so let's let's uh, wrap this up and package into a bundle real quick and recap what we're talking about here: the devil's footprints or hoof prints, which a lot of people call them in Devon, England. Devon, England, being in the south uh, south of England, uh, a little more rural. It's the opposite side of England. If you're not geographically savvy, of, I can't say that of word. the UK. What? Rural. 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 Two R's. Rural. 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 How do you go to that store? That's like um. Like a oh, quality farm and fleet. I don't go to that store. Okay, not that one, but there's another bigger chain. They sell popcorn. You know what I'm talking about? Uh. Uh-uh. Rural King. Oh yeah. What if we had to go to Rural King? I don't go there. I send Daryl. <laughs> How do you tell him where Problem to go? Problem solved. How do you tell him where to go? I don't. There's go literally that? nothing at that store I would buy except popcorn. They have huge bags of popcorn. Do they? Tara's Uncle Max brought me a huge bags of bo- bag of popcorn. And let's not... He says it's as good as Hills used to be. Oh, now that's a steep claim. And First off, it's not that great. Okay. I love popcorn. It I is a too. passion of mine. I love popcorn. And bread. We won't get into that. Yeah. Uh, popcorn I love. And it's not the best popcorn I've ever had, but I love every popcorn. Yeah. And if you remember Hills to be this level of popcorn, like it's not that great. I feel you. Comparatively. I've been on a popcorn kit. I mean, like, I love popcorn anyway, but, like, I've been obsessed with it for the past couple weeks. I know. When I came into the studio, I had to kick, like, three bags out of the way. I know. You just have them laying everywhere. And then you everywhere. stuck your hand in my popcorn, and all willy-nilly, I didn't even offer any, and that's just rude. I know it is. I just took the excess bags. She'll, she'll pop bags of popcorn, for those who don't know. She'll pop whole bags of popcorn in the microwave, and she has this tiny popcorn receptacle that, receptacle. Can, almost, <laughs> that can almost get the whole bag in, but not quite. So she'll pour it all into her receptacle that she can seal and save for later. So she'll start eating out of that, and I'll just like swoop in behind her and grab the what's left in the bag that wouldn't fit in the receptacle, and that sucker's mine. Yeah, but then you got into my little receptacle, too. I did. That was after. So I was just like, I, I mean, after you left, I was like, took all my damn popcorn. <laughs> okay, so, so is. let's get back to the track. So rural south uh, southwestern England is the exact opposite side of the uh, of the aisle from London. So we have, um, again, rural kind of backcountry-ish without making any judgments. We need those bread baskets of the countries. Uh, but that kind of plays in, right? We wake up. On this morning in February of 1855, and everybody finds this long trail of what appear to be footprints, right? Spooky. Spooky footprints. Well, okay, they're spooky because they look cloven. Well, see, now at first, I, I it wouldn't be spooky. You know, you walk out, you see that, and you think, oh, okay, some animal trotted through here. Yeah. But, however, when you see them going up walls and over your house... And that's where we that's where we get spooky. Okay. Yeah. Yep. It's just not the footprints that are dotting or lined up in the countryside. It's it's the path that the, the footprints took. Okay. One could say that deer have clo- hoven, uh, cloven <laughs> cloven hoof, hoof prints. Yeah. And deer walk within the realm of physics that we know them. But the track that these prints took would do both normal things, walking across you know wherever. 
Um, but then they would also go up the sides of walls, along narrow like hedgerows and fencings that a deer would not be able to get up no. and walk on for hardly any extended period of time, let alone would they. Uh, and then we get to the the pipes thing where the they they appear to go into these pipes to reappear on the other side of the pipe. And the pipe is very tiny, like we said, four inches in diameter, which isn't very large at all. So feasibly, the deer would have to go into full goo, goo form and into in order to get into those pipes. Goo form? A full goo, goo form, yeah. Huh. Like they just is that go, a scientific, <laughs> scientific term? I, that's, I believe so. Um, I'll have to cite that source, but they just go... <laughs> Uh, I really don't want to walk around this pipe, and it feels like it's a straight A to B point. It. So just there we go, and then it just like just out the other side, <laughs> out the other side, and there we go. He can carry on his merry way. So unless you're unless you're under the impression of entertaining that idea, most likely a deer is not going to be doing that. And that's what really boggles my mind about this case is the um, interpretation that this thing must have been kind of heavy because the footprints looked as if they were almost like seared in yeah um so then how do you have how do you explain that how do you have something that is heavy enough large enough to leave these deep hoof prints but then you had the same hoof prints that lead into a pipe and come out the other side okay let me clarify this too because i didn't exactly am i, did I, am I reading it wrong you didn't read it wrong um i Oh, you bumped your microphone again. Uh, You didn't read it wrong. I just didn't put this exactly in there because I felt it was kind of contradictory. So I wanted to take this time in the discussion to explain that. In that it was the coldest winter, a lot of people say on record, but not the most snow filled. So when we have this snowfall, I don't want to call it a dusting, but it wasn't a full on snowfall. Okay, I got you. Here in Ohio um, and in my time here. You have a dusting. You have flurries where where you really don't get concerned. Um, it's they just kind of come down. Most likely they won't stick. At best, it's only going to stick to grass. Yeah, just a light little powdery. Just a little bit. Yep. Snow. Most likely it's going to be gone by the next morning. Yeah. You then on the opposite end of the spectrum have blizzards, which will blow. Um, you start plowing roads or whatever, and it, within twenty minutes, a half hour. All your work is undone because it blows right back over. And then you start to have these drifts, which are the main cause for concern. Okay. Um, Many of you probably already know that. So what we're talking about, which is not the case here, would be like the moderate snowfall. Maybe a couple inches that still come down that you need to pay attention when you're driving or what have you. But it's not a huge amount. We're somewhere between the dusting and the moderate. Okay. So when they say that the hoof prints sank into the snow enough to almost hit ground, we're not talking about a lot of snow. Okay, gotcha. If, if there were three inches, that might have been a lot from my understanding of this story. So for something to sink into the snow at three inches, I mean, Oscar, who's a, what, what did we establish the one week? Maybe six-pound cat, seven-pound cat? Probably. He could probably easily sink into how, how much snow we're talking about. Okay. So, so when we say these hoof prints are sinking so deep that they almost hit ground, so deep is a little misleading. And if I did that to any of our listeners, I apologize in our narrative. Uh, it's not that deep. <laughs> so so to say that it may be heavy, it may not be. But the fashion in which the clarity of the hoof print made it feel like it was seared. Not necessarily the depth. And I know in those papers that we previously previously discussed by Elcombe, he does, I think, explicitly say that, that it appears to be seared, I think, right? Yeah. Or like they the the way they entered the snow and yeah. made the imprint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not we're not looking at 
inches deep snow here. At, like I said, if at most, if we're looking at three, that's the top end of my guesstimate of how much snow we're looking at. So to say that the thing, whatever made the hoof prints, uh, is heavy, I don't know if I'd say that. Yeah. So in my mind, a mouse possibly could still make these, make these prints because, uh, and I kind of just went right into it there. Uh, that was the first thing, the first, uh, I say thing, the first explanation as to what these were, it was some type of, you know, hopping mouse. See, but I find issue with that too, because mice are plentiful. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we've lived out in the country before we've had, I mean, yeah. you don't just have one mouse, you have a gazillion of them. Yeah. They breed like crazy. So to, you know, I'm sure this is, is something that, that, people living in the country would experience quite often yeah. seeing. So this instance was clearly something out of the norm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if it was in fact a hopping mouse, like I said, they would be, people would know what that is. Oh, look at that. That's a, that's not a hoof print. That's a hopping mouse. You yeah. know, we get that all the time. So this was something that significantly stood out to the people that, witnessed it yeah that they would see something normally and this seems out of the ordinary so yeah it might not be a normal explanation exactly and i can agree to that and the only thing and we kind of talked about this before we started recording this discussion process the only thing that i can really say to add to that is my automatic connection in my mind to how uh, some of the theories go with the yeti footprints how they have this uh is it is it like the melt freeze theory or whatever yeah, I, I, yeah. maybe i'm just applying a name to it but um how you have a print in the snow and it may be a print of whatever nothing extraordinary and the snow will naturally melt kind of making the print slightly bigger and then it'll freeze making making it clear again kind of but bigger and then maybe the next day it'll 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 thaw again and then refreeze and now you have a print that's maybe two to three times the original size yeah simply from simply from you know thawing and then freezing and thawing and then freezing and and you said you didn't really care for that idea because it seems like an overnight thing well yeah yeah they go it's as if they go you know in the house in the evening um everything's fine and then they wake up the next morning and lo and behold there's all these footprints yeah which this is kind of questionable too so it's as if they go to bed at night and everything's fine and then they wake up the next morning and lo and behold you got all these footprints everywhere and that was another question i had too is if you have these things whatever they are uh, outside climbing your wall jump you know climbing all over your roof wouldn't you hear something you would you would think that you would hear something which kind of would lead credence to a lighter animal such as a a lighter animal yeah Okay, so um, also to add into that would be the, what was the idea, of the lack of canter. How you have like a bipedal animal or even, even a you know, uh, I was going to say quadriplegic animal. A quadriplegic <laughs> animal. An animal that walks on four legs. I just can't. I just can't. Not a quadriplegic animal. Uh, whether or not you have a... a you know what? Screw it. An animal that walks on two legs or an animal that walks on four. You have a side-by-side motion a lot of times. If a person were to have to walk in a straight line like that, most likely they're taking a field sobriety test and not because of some natural way that they want to walk. Yeah. Okay. So there are very few circumstances where any animal, whether walking on two or four legs, would wor- would walk with a straight line. Yeah. So that's that's one of the other things that kind of leads to this mouse theory is that the mouse not being able to walk like it needs to in almost any depth of snow would need to hop to to traverse the snow. 
and there would be no canter. Yeah. Because it's just hopping in a straight line. I so think, I think we can both agree, though, that the kangaroo theory is probably a little far-fetched. The, I think, I think, <laughs> I, oh, I bumped the table. I think there was a little more in-depth about that. Like someone knew of a kangaroo that was nearby in a collection, but I don't even think it was let loose um, or, you know, reported to have been, got, have gotten loose. Or much less that it hopped all the way to, because how far apart were these um uh, 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 you know, with the footprints. How far the footprints went? Um, in Devon, like, Devon, England, and where was the other? And they kind of went north, I believe. So yeah. it was anywhere like from forty to a hundred miles. Okay. And so they kind of broke up at certain points. And then, how far apart in time length were these? Because one was an eight. Didn't it, didn't it say eighteen fifty five? No, that's when it happened. That's when the incident of this episode happened was in eighteen fifty five. Oh, okay. We gave a couple other examples that were in later points in time, but to have this like the kangaroo would have been needed to get loose that night, and yeah. I don't think it was, but it no. was just like a theory of if we're going to a hopping mouse, what else hops that would do it? But the feet of a kangaroo. I was just gonna say, come on now. You got like six mice, seven mice, eight mice. They're the all length hopping of a, together. Yeah. In synchronicity. To ma- no, no, it's the exact opposite. You would need a tiny-footed kangaroo to make it look like this. Yeah. Because it's so tiny. Um, but let's go on to those other two stories that we had, uh, which were the expedition from Captain Sir James Ross, and that was 1840. So it was slightly before this yeah. Devon incident. And this is way far away. We're talking like the southern southern Indian Ocean, I think it was, in the uh, Kirkvallen Islands. Oh, yeah, that's right. So they had almost the same circumstance, except there were like there was no life on the island besides like the seabirds and the seals that would migrate there or swim and fly there until people started coming around. And, and Captain Ross's expedition, at least at this time, was one of the first of was one of the first to keep coming through. So they kind of seen the island as it was before any real human inter- interaction happened. So there weren't many native animals to the island, and they happened upon this section of slightly snow-covered area that would end in like a rocky terrain. So they seen the almost the same thing walking through the snow and then as soon as it hit the rocky terrain obviously you can't track it anymore and it stopped yeah so they kind of did their own investigations because they're i'm sure it wasn't thinking it was the devil i don't there was no indication of that i think it was a devil walking but man maybe there's something we can eat here i don't know but regardless documenting the life on the island and they couldn't find anything and they kind of said that maybe there was one or two expeditions that had come before them maybe they let loose a pony or or go got loose or something a sheep or something but they kind of just wrote it off because it wasn't of huge concern. And then, of course, we have the next one that was 1945 in Belgium. Um, and a lot more people thought it was goats at the time. <clears throat> a lot more people thought it was goats at the time because there were a lot of goats and sheep in the area. Yeah. So, But it, it did match very closely the, the Devon incident. So that's where we make that connection of wondering furthermore whether or not this was maybe a sheep or a goat. So when do you think the interpretation that this was a, quote, devil came in? I don't really know. I know the one thing I do know is let's let's look at this from a cultural standpoint. In 1855, we're talking about Victorian England. And in Victorian England, we have this rush of literature. We have this rush of 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 expansion with Victorian England that brings about a lot of when it 
how can I even really word it? Um, opening up for ideas and and also a, a backlash of inclusion. Okay, so with that backlash of in- inclusion, um, what I mean is is you have a lot of viable other cultural inputs coming into play now. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Are you following me? So now you have this, uh, especially I could see this, and this isn't verified, this is just me, you know, speaking myself, of especially in the countrysides, of of this backlash of inclusion. And so you have this certain level of anxiety sometimes, and then maybe mixed with a little bit of boredom. And so you and so when you have a situation like this, it kind of manifests itself as like a pressure release. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and you can see that in modern times. I mean, a lot more people tend to be superstitious in the country. Oh, yeah. As opposed yeah. And to cons- into yeah, the bigger cities. And considering the time, too. Yeah. So you have this, you have this conflagration, and then you have a certain set of circumstances that is very interesting. Uh, one of the questions I did have is not necessarily when did they think this were, this was the devil, but more of the idea of how the image of the devil, of their devil, was applied to what they're seeing. Mm-hmm. The image of the devil as we see it today, and it's not far off of how they viewed it in Victorian England um, as being this half man, half goat, satyr like being with the hoof prints because the bottom half would be like a goat or a sheep yeah. or something with with horns and a pitchfork and all that. That image hasn't always been around. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a formulation of after the Divine Comedy with Dante Alighieri. Um, I think that was in the 12 or 1300s. The common concept of how we see the devil today is 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 a combination of, mainly a combination of two works of literature. You have the Divine Comedy by Dante Alighieri in the 12, 1300s. And um, if you don't know the name Divine Comedy, you might know Dante's Inferno. Because the Divine Comedy is split into uh, three books. You have... Um, you have the Inferno, you have Purgatorio, and you have Paradiso. But a lot of people usually just know Inferno, which is where, um, to to surmise it really quickly, uh, Dante gets uh, a tour of hell. Oh, by the poet Virgil. Little vacation uh, down south. Not really, but okay. Yes, vacation, sure. Um, <laughs> and he kind of shows him how hell, hell is set up, and that is really where we get a lot of our hell and punishments today. Hmm. Um, the they go into extreme detail. If you know nothing, if you take nothing else away from from medieval scribes, um, uh, monasteries, and the interpretation of biblical text today, just know that when you have enough time on your hands to be able to sit around all day and only work, pray, eat, then sleep, you tend to be able to have the world abound of ways you can describe the punishments for the things you're trying to avoid Mm -hmm. Uh, case in point uh, one of the punishments in the inferno uh, for soothsayers or psychics would be to have your head cut off and sewn on backwards so that you could no longer see into the future so work. you have these all the time where people have sat and thought about the specific punishments for the specific crime or sin that you've committed in life. Uh, and almost every one of them has it. So if you can think of a sin that is reoccurring 
uh, they have their own specific punishment, and it's, it's fantastic, the imagery. Uh, so if you get the time to read that book, read it, because it really formulated how we view hell and the devil today. Uh, but the devil in that in the Inferno is this big monstrous character that sits at the at the final level of hell, I believe in the middle of a frozen lake. But he's mm. very monstrous looking. Mm-hmm. Before that, the devil really wasn't monstrous to say. He was he was part of the angelic legion who who in one point or another, I will not get into the theology of this, but uh, defied God and and was cast out of heaven. Mm-hmm. So he he essentially uh, could be viewed as one of the most beautiful angels out there. So he could still look what you might view as an angel today. Again, this is another sidetrack that I will not take. Most angels probably aren't the way that you picture them because that's not the way they're pictured in the yeah, Bible. It's without just the wings and all that. Culturally yeah. handed down, this is mm-hmm. the way they look. But in theory, if I'm going to keep straight and narrow, and I'm trying my best to because you know me, I want to oh, take yeah, sidetracks and caveats. Yeah. Um, most likely the devil in theory would look like the same way an angel would look. But yeah. if you're going to try to um, explain why that might not be the case, it may be because since he's not in heaven anymore, he's become corrupted or whatever, and that corruption would cause a physical change. So that's kind of how Dante viewed it. After that, we have uh, the work of Paradise Lost by John Milton. And that book was the second book that really solidified the idea of how of how the devil looks and how hell, hell works. But before those times, the devil would not most likely have been viewed as such, which is my main point for this big, long diatribe that I'm on now, that before, before these two works of art um, in literature came around the devil probably wouldn't have had that look so yeah. in theory if this same set of circumstances would have happened pre year 1000 then this would be not the same situation we are looking at today really the only reason why we're looking at it today is because of how we currently and in, in the victorian era view how the devil should look so his footprints should look like this, this. and that's what this looks like mm-hmm. so connecting the dots we have the devil's hoofprints now. So I really wanted to at least to at least say a little bit of that, and I think I've taken up like an eleven minute explanation. I'm about to fall asleep over. And here. I'm trying not to go in deeper, but have I have I given you the thought that I was thinking about? Yeah, yeah. Do you understand? Do you have anything to add to it at all? Um, not really. So what is your what is your um opinion on what this uh the culprit could possibly be? I don't know. See, I want to lean. I, I want to lean natural. I want to lean naturally to a no- natural explanation. That's why I want to do. Um, even if it's not on the up and up, like if we have a bunch of human hoaxers, though, let's just say we have a few humans who want to hoax this. And like I said in the narrative, it's not of how could they, or not why. Not it wouldn't be a question of why would they because people are bored. And they do some stupid stuff yeah, when they're bored. Yeah. But you know how, how could, they? could they? If you had a few different people working, could a few different people using the same methods cover a hundred miles worth of of hoaxing? Right. Even still, though, like I said, you would hear them up on your roof. You could, yeah. You know. And then also, though, like that same argument to me still applies to the same mouse. So let's just say it's the same mouse, right? Because if they're all relatively the same size, mice still kind of change in size. We have different sizes True, of people. Yeah. We may have different sizes of mice. Could the same mouse do the same thing that a human hoaxer could? So if we're questioning just the sheer amount of time that it would take for a human or humans to make these traps or tracks, the same would apply to the same mouse. 
You know what I mean? So it, just one lone mouse that like travels all this distance. And could it could it feasibly do that distance? Yeah, that's that's the question in my mind. If it's going more natural, well, I think that's crazy. Well, that, that, that well, that's what I'm getting at. <laughs> but if we're not going natural, and I'm going to entertain some unnatural force, right? This is really speaking to me lately. Maybe the past two years have been making sense to me, and it kind of all encompasses my kind of religious views. Um, would be that of I am gravitating towards the idea that we manifest what we believe in. For example, have you ever heard of a tulpa? Yeah. Have we talked about tulpas on here? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, the long and short of a tulpa would be basically like a doll that you would make, and it could be out of anything, anything, right? Um, and you usually, I think, if I if I remember the explanation right, you you want a physical manifestation of it. So even if you take like a child's toy, like an action figure, and you use that as the tulpa, that still works. But the idea is, is that you create a tulpa in your mind that has a physical manifestation, and you think about what you want it to do and its purpose, mm-hmm. and you can manifest it to life, whether or not it's physically walking around, which that remains to be seen, but spiritually doing what you wanted to do. Yeah. Okay. Now that could get quickly out of hand because if you don't set clear boundaries on what you wanted to do, then it could become its own life uh-huh. and its own spiritual force and then do whatever it wants. And if you're creating this, you don't really want that to happen. That's not good for the universe. Right. Um, so that is me speaking in, in, in terms I don't usually speak in. I think you can agree. I, I yeah. usually don't talk like this, but what got me thinking about this more and, and maybe the, the validity that it would hold would be my long held idea that I think that gods exist and hold credence because of how many people think about and put thought into it. Mm-hmm. So for example, at one point in time, we had the Greek myths. Everybody believed in the Greek myths in, in, in Greece, and there was no real question of whether or not this God did this for us or this God did this for us, and and that has held throughout human history. I mean, just quickly going through, like, the Roman Empire, they had basically the same freaking God, just with different names and with mm-hmm. minute changes, and they would have, like, a God for whatever, and you would pray for that God for that minute section of your daily life to make sure that your spoon didn't break or something like that, yeah. right? And that manifested it, that could possibly manifest itself because at least you believe in it and you are putting your life force and what your energy into it, manifesting it in a way, whether or not your spoon, it just, it, whether or not it just means that your spoon really doesn't break, then technically your spoon didn't break. Could one argue that it would have broken if you wouldn't have believed that your spoon wouldn't have broken? True. And and that may be a terrible because we use metal spoons, but bear with me. I don't know why your spoon would break, but just just the idea. So with this, and I'm go I'm kind of circling back to the idea, the imagery of the devil. Historically, yeah, the image of the devil has changed, but at some point it did change to what we have today and what we have in Victoria, England. So if people believe that the devil is real, and they believe in it in a in a a collected form. If everybody believes in the same image, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Then would that image be able to manifest in that in that fashion? I you could, see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I could kind of go along with that. Okay. So if, if if previously to this, we we thought the devil was a rock. Let's just say it's a rock, right? The devil, a devil is a rock that's blue in color. But then for some reason, we all change, right? Mm-hmm. And we think, no, the devil now 
is half man, half goat. It has horns, and he carries around a pitchfork, and he's got a, 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 a tail that looks weird. What do you call that? Pointed tail. Yeah. Right? So now we've all shifted. Now we're all are thinking and putting our energy into belief that this thing is coming to get us and we need to stop it, right? Whether whether or not how we're thinking about it, we're still putting thought and we're still putting energy into combating this evil that used to be a rock. And now we're putting so much energy and thought and belief into the fact that he now looks like this, that we now give him a part of our energy to be able to manifest in this image. So in the future, if we think, no, that's not what he looks like. He looks like that Christmas tree. Yeah. So now the devil can only work within the means that we give him because it's our energy we're giving and if we give that energy to make him look like a goddamn christmas tree (laughs) then that's all he has to work with that's how we manifest him you've really thought this out well this is this is part of my this is part of my i don't want to call it beliefs but how i'm how, how i feel the universe works yeah right and we can get into all this because this this kind of plays into into like real magic Mm-hmm. into um how one could get into magic and and let's not let's not let's not go into it too deep but it's not the magic where you choose a card and here's your card magic this is like people who b- legitly believe they're practicing magic not with necessarily spells like we sit in a circle and we light candles how you perceive it but actual like thought ma- energy yes thought energy things. magic yes and those two for me tie in all of this you know we've had we've had the thought of jesus for the past two thousand years and we have a whole lot of people who believe in nearly the same image of jesus now that's not exactly true but the idea of how god works and how jesus is is related to that god we have a general consensus because we have essentially the same book people are reading from Mm -hmm. so are we not manifesting god are we not manifesting the devil so in this case Again, I get long-winded. I apologize. But even if I don't believe that the devil really looks like this, and so I'm going to combat the idea that I don't think the devil looks like that. That can't be his hoof prints. It, with my theory, if a bunch of people do believe that, then this thing, whether or not they're real devil or one they've just imagined, could, could in theory, make those hoof prints. Yeah. So I'm going to land firmly on the fence again, as I usually do. <laughs> we went all the way out and around just to come back and say we're still on the fence. Yeah, but it gave us something to talk about yeah. and, some, and some thought ideas. So if anybody else has an idea on magic, if anybody else has an idea on this idea of a tulpa, um, do, your, do a little bit, look it up. You know, I don't know if we'll actually be doing any shows on on actual magic or or tulpas, but look it up until then. And if you have anything to add to this discussion, get on the group, Supernatural Tendencies group. On Facebook? Yep, on Facebook. Hit us up on our Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram, all those all those stuffs, and let us know what you find. Let us know what you think. So, do you have anything else to discuss today? Yeah, I think I'm good. You good? Yeah. I like this story, though. Yeah, it is pretty cool. And I still want to think that the devil... Wanted to get out for some exercise. Could be. That's what I want to believe. Even the devil is worried about his health. He doesn't doesn't want to have a a massive heart attack like Daryl. Oh, poor Daryl. And you still have him out running around now. No, well, the doctor said he needs to work on his cardio, so I'm helping Daryl. Did the doctor's air quotes say that? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. It's it's all about what's best for Daryl. Oh, Daryl. We got to get Daryl on the show. Oh, my God, we do. He'll get all weird and then... He'll get all weird and say dumb stuff and... If he says anything at all. Anyway, we'll talk to him. Until then, we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.
We'd like to say thank you one more time for hopping on board with us this week. If you have any comments, questions, critiques, or suggestions for new topics, please send us an email at supernaturaltendenciespodcast at gmail.com. We also encourage you to get over to our Facebook page at Supernatural Tendencies Podcast and go ahead and elbow drop that like button for us. We're also available on Instagram at Supernatural Tendencies Podcast and Twitter at Weird and Scary, if that's more to your liking. Please pass us around to your friends as well, where they can find us on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and most other podcast platforms. And remember, if you're having any type of paranormal activity or extraterrestrial contact, I offer private coaching online via Skype or Facebook Messenger to assist you with those issues. Feel free to visit me at christyjohnsonsadler.com for contact information. Till next time, this has been Alex and Christy. See you later. Here we are, sticking around after hours again, into the wee morning of the, or hours of the, oh, man, why do I always mess that up on this part? I don't know. Wee hours of the morning, sticking around for the musician spotlight, and we thank you for doing so. You're not going to add anything? Oh, I didn't know you were done. Oh. (laughs) You just sit there staring at me like you're waiting to jump. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody saw that face. If they they did, they would laugh. (laughs) that's what's happening (laughs) this week in the musician spotlight we have our first hip-hop artist which excites me to no end in all regions of the body and mind me too especially yeah we got uh this week uh we have we were contacted by the uh amazing taylor who uh is the social media guru for our artist this week who is uh venom aka eddie brock out of new york Brooklyn. So for all you naysayers out there who just uh, think we do the Midwest stuffs, we don't do the Midwest stuffs. We do everybody's stuffs. And this week with Venom Eddie Brock coming out of, oop, I kicked my chair, coming out of Brooklyn, I believe, Brooklyn, New York, um, doing just straight hip hop, man. Like it's good. It's good new hip hop stuff. Um, The song we got today has, has a hook that will stick in your mind for a solid month. Yep. Because I think I've talked with Taylor almost three weeks ago, almost a month ago. And it's not been out of my head. Like I've been at work and people ask me questions about my inventory. Like, hey, did you order that chair in? I'm like, all we do is get this money. All we do is get this money. Like, <laughs> it's terrible. And they just kind of look at me and then slowly turn around and walk away. Yeah. And then hope that I have the chair ordered. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's Alex. At least he's making money. At least he's making that money, I guess. So, so uh, yes, check, uh, check uh, out venom eddie brock i believe the song we have today you can check out on most streaming platforms um i think the going thing today is to check him out on spotify um so get his listens up um it's fantastic like i said it will get stuck in your head i don't i don't think he has any shows lined up here lately I, i just looked it up i didn't see any on there um so if there are i do apologize um Whenever we post this, I think Taylor is going to be watching for it. Taylor, if you have any shows for him or any events lined up, 
uh, for Venom, go ahead and add those in uh, to whatever, however you share, however we share, add those in. Um, and we will get started on playing this track again. Get This Money by Venom, a.k.a. Eddie Brock. Shit. Venom, a.k.a. Eddie Brock, man. Three times all the time. MGM, MOE, Brooklyn shit, we in here. Do is get this money, all we 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 do is get this money, ride around in my Lexus. Stacking these blocks like Tetris Through the side door, let the text spit Snatch your necklace, get your chest hit uh. My phone clicking right now You need work, you can get it right now Ain't nobody spitting my style Gotta chill sometimes, I be living tight wild Think of where all of my thoughts went Smoke clouds in my apartment I don't mumble a stutter, I just keep it gutter Bank for the cause, not for the color I don't believe in assuming It's only money I'm choosing Y'all looking bummy and stupid Pull up your friend, we shooting Trust me, it's nothing, I do this He got peasy, what's moving Have not speed the movement Did any one of y'all kinda outside Gunners a ride or someone will die Facts, what's on my mind? Racks, I'm Mr. Sour, fine Wax, burn out of the nest of time Cap, you gotta rewind that All we do is get this money 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 Thank you. 